Uh, good morning, church. To those of you who are in the room and uh, braved the fall weather, what a beautiful day God has given us. And to those of you who are joining us online, we're so glad that you're here. And whether this is the first time that you're joining us or you've been with us through this whole fall series, uh, you couldn't have picked a better day to come than today. Our church has been on this journey for the past six weeks, and we hit kind of the climax of that journey last Sunday. We've been looking at some of the characteristics, the practices, the the defining ethos of those first followers of Jesus. Long before they were called Christians, they were called, you remember the expression, people of the way. And so we've been looking towards the way. What was this way that they were following? And we looked at a series of defining words, but last last week we really hit the signature word for those first followers, and it was the word rebirth. And we saw that truth at work as we celebrated with our people who came forward to be baptized. And if you missed that series and and missed last Sunday, let me invite you to catch up online as you have the opportunity. Uh, To be clear, in, in doing this kind of a focus, we're really not trying to roll out another program. There are enough programs in the life of the church. And we're not trying to offer you one more checklist of good behavior, a to-do list for following Jesus. All we're really trying to do is discover what life with Jesus might look like. Oftentimes, it's a characteristic of religion in general that we present people with a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. And then we give them this suggestion that if you do these things and you don't do these things, that makes you a good person. And then good people, well, they have a better chance of going to heaven or life after death or however we understand the final goal of religion. That's generally how religious ideology is constructed. But the language of discipleship, of being with Jesus on the way of life, of cultivating a relationship is is something that feels and should feel very different. Jesus says, Matthew 11, come follow me. Come learn with me. Take my yoke upon me, which is his way of saying my way of life. Let's do it together. Take my yoke upon me and you will find rest. When we begin to follow Jesus, when, when we learn from him and take on his way of life, one of the things we discover is that life changes. There's a transformation that happens. It's, it's not just us transforming ourselves as if we could pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and will it to happen. But, but somehow this one that we're walking with is also working within. And there's this inside-out transformation that begins to happen. And we saw the fruit of that last week in the lives of those who had said yes to the invitation and celebrated that yes in the waters of baptism. You know, that's... That's really why the church is here. I mean, it's why our church is here. It's why we exist. It's why we do everything it is that we try and do. Our mission at its core level is simply to help people find and follow Jesus, to unleash the transforming power of Jesus in people's lives. 
There's lots of things that we do, lots of things that are important to us as a church, and some of those things, it's felt, have been sidelined for these past 18 months. But, but the most important thing that we do, the thing that matters more than anything else, helping people find and follow Jesus, that's gone on unabated. In fact, we've even picked up the pace. We have had more people come to the church, find the church, find Jesus in the past 18 months than in any season up until now. Discipleship. I mean, discipleship really is not meant to be just the the bare minimum, the entrance requirements for going to heaven after we die. Discipleship with Jesus is when we experience the power, the excitement, the joy of walking with Jesus and experiencing that transformation that is happening steadily and gradually in our lives. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. But what happens when you find and when you follow Jesus? And uh, we're going to hear a bunch of stories as we do that, stories from our own people. Let me tell you one first, and it's, it's kind of frivolous, but it makes me laugh. I laugh every time I think about it. It's a, it's a Doritos commercial that ran several years ago during the Super Bowl. And you know, the Super Bowl commercials are the Super Bowl of commercials. I mean, they save their best ideas. They plow their best money into these. So here was the clever genius of the Doritos advertising team. Imagine an Amish family who are discovering an elevator for the first time. For whatever reason, they pull up their horse and buggy to a shopping mall. They step inside. They're in that little kiosk where the elevator is situated. And beside the elevator is a vending machine which sells, guess what? Doritos, right? And they watch as an older woman comes and leans in and presses the button and out comes the Doritos. She pops them open, starts munching. And then this mysterious thing happens. There's There's a sliding door in the wall that opens up and she gets inside, still chewing away. And then the door closes and and she's gone. The old man looks and says, what is this? Where did she go? Is she coming back? A few minutes later, the doors open and out steps this strikingly beautiful young woman clad in high fashion attire, also munching on a bag of Doritos. (laughs) So the Amish man, he looks over at his son and says, quick, go find your mother. (laughs) And it ends with him sort of pushing her inside, saying, here, try the cool ranch. (laughs) Now listen, it's not politically correct. Don't Google it or you'll see why I didn't show you the clip itself. Uh, But I can just imagine, I can imagine Karina saying, don't worry about the exercise, just jump in the elevator and it'll take care of you. (laughs) There's something about transformation that just captures the human imagination. It makes us smile, it makes us anticipate, and it challenges us. So I want to challenge you this morning with the stories of transformation in the lives of some of our people. We ask them simply, what does it mean to find and follow Jesus? I'm delighted to 
to be able to start with my friend David morning. Uh, and I know that's, that's not always easy for David, and we're delighted that you're here today. So will you join me as we watch David's testimony? And then we're going to hear from Sarah, who was baptized last Sunday, and then from Lisa. So I'm here with David, and we were talking about this Sunday. We're excited about the final week in our series when we're looking about at what it means to find and follow Jesus. And I'm delighted, David, that, um, that that's something that we've been able to talk about and look forward to hearing from you about that. David, uh, tell us about how it is that you found Jesus in your life. I, I found Jesus by looking, um, looking at scriptures and looking at my mom when she was she was teaching me about the bible and it's really great to um follow jesus because i i always wanted to go to church and and i have lots of friends at church and it's and it's my friends who who what keeps me keeps me going in, in my life, I love to sing worship music and be a, be around godly people. Yeah. And, and you know, since I was young, my mom used, used to share the gospel with me. And I, I was very, very eager to know who, who Jesus was. And, and I started going to church like to city center baptist church and i asked the pastor to be be baptized and i'm 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 forever grateful that i'm i was baptized and if you could say something to encourage those who are listening to you this morning um about uh what a difference it's made in your life finding and knowing jesus what, what would you say I would say that it's 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 the greatest thing that ever happened to me to find Jesus and I love him. Yeah. Good morning church. I'm Sarah. I got baptized last week and I thought I should share my testimony today. Being born in a Christian family, I knew about Jesus through Christian Sunday school songs, and my father told me and taught me from the beginning to trust and obey God. He taught me the importance of prayer, but my love of music got me even closer to Jesus. I found Jesus when I was going through a period of health concerns, where neither me nor my parents or even the doctors knew what I was going through. The medicines were not working, and I had seizures during the day and while sleeping during the night. Jesus found me in my tears, and he saved me, and since last August, he made the doctors give me the right medications. And today, I am standing in front of you only because of Lord Jesus, as he is always with me, guiding me in every step of my life. It's God's presence that strengthens my faith and brings out the best in me which is getting involved in youth, worship team, and being of assistance wherever needed in work in the house of the Lord. And by doing so, I always feel the peace and contentment and unexplained joy and happiness.
I thank God for answering all the prayers made by my family, grandparents, friends, relatives, you, my church family, Carolyn, Rochelle, Pastor Richard, Pastor Sheldon, and Pastor Nathan, and all my well-wishers, and I thank you all. The journey so far with my Lord has been good, and I know there will be many challenges and trials I will have to face, but with Jesus Christ with me, I can face and do all things Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Lisa. Here today I'm sharing a personal story of how I found Jesus and followed him. It is really a testimony for um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Growing up, I don't know much about God and Jesus, about 18 years ago, I was in a real turmoil. My personal life was in a disaster. So I started a question about um, meaning of life and my very existence on this planet. So on Sundays, I would drive around in Mississauga and find any church, the door opens, I walk in, I will sit through the entire testimony, uh, entire sermon. <laughs> and trying to make sense of what the person is trying to say. But Sunday after Sunday, church after church, um, I didn't feel touched by any spirit. So I was very disappointed. What I didn't know was that God has a plan, that he has a plan to place me in a specific church. So one day, I dropped off my daughter in the Montessori school. Another mother came to me. She said, uh, uh, I'd like to invite you to my church. It's in the basement of my house for Sunday service. I hesitated in the beginning because my impression of church has tall ceilings and stained glass and big cross the door. Her house is none of that. <laughs> in any event, I thought I would give it a try. At that point, I had been to 10 churches already. What is one more? So anyway, when I arrived... The basement was filled with a lot of welcoming people. As soon as I sat down, the worship started. The song was, Come Home. The chorus is, Come Home, Come Home. That song and that chorus is really like God is calling a prodigal daughter, me, home. God is waiting with arms open, so tears stream down my face. <laughs> I was a total mess <laughs> in front of a room for um, stranger. So after that, I never missed one Sunday service. A few months after, I was baptized. So following Jesus gives me hope, wisdom, and strength to live a peaceful and joyful life. Loving God helps me to be grateful and stay positive when facing challenges. I hope my testimony can be an encouragement to you. Glory to be to the God.
suppose really I should just sit down now because the sermon's been given, but I, I did get all dressed up this morning. So <laughs> I want to share with you one of, one of my favorite stories of transformation in the Gospels, a story about a person's life who uh, found things turned utterly upside down, completely changed, and it happens in the span of 10 short verses. I invite you to reach for your device or for your Bible and turn with me in the Gospel of Luke to chapter 19. I, I enjoyed this particular passage so much, both because it's familiar to many people, uh, but more importantly because it's kind of the Gospel in a nutshell. It, it, it all distills itself into this. What is it that happens in the life of a person who really finds and earnestly follows Jesus? So let's read this together from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there who Jesus, or he wanted to see, pardon me, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since, since Jesus was coming along that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He's gone to be with the, the, the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I want to pause just there for a moment, because it sounds pretty dramatic what's just happened. I mean, in one verse, Jesus is just arriving at the home of Zacchaeus. In the next verse, Zacchaeus is pledging to give away half his possessions. And don't you wonder, what did we miss between the two verses? Uh, remember, the gospel writers, Luke included, are giving us snapshots. Really, we're looking through a scrapbook of the life of Jesus. And it's not hard to imagine there's a conversation that's happened between those two verses that maybe we don't know about. Luke didn't record all the details of everything Jesus said and everything that he did. But don't you just kind of wish that you could have been there at the table listening in for exactly what it is that Jesus might have spoken sitting next to Zacchaeus there at the table, taking notes, because whatever he said transformed Zacchaeus entirely. Let's keep reading to the end, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Some of you have heard the story before, most of you. Some of you grew up in the church and you're familiar with it because we love to tell this story to kids. We even sing about it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. It's, 
It's a story about this little guy who climbs a tree in order to feel big. And if you're a kid, boy, that'll teach, won't it? And so we, we love to tell the story and we love to sing the song. But the problem for Zacchaeus was not so much that he was short. And read closely. It wasn't an issue around height. It was an issue around sight. According to Luke, the problem was that he couldn't see. And that was the issue. Luke says in verse 3, he goes out of the way to explain it to us, that he wanted to see. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But he couldn't see. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead. He climbs up a sycamore tree to see Jesus as Jesus was making his way through. And so here's the question. What is it? What is it that you think Zacchaeus wanted to see? What is it that he had hoped to see as this wandering rabbi made his way through town? What is it that was so important that he would run way ahead of the crowd and suffer the indignity of hiking up his robe and scaling a tree just so that he could get a glimpse of this man, Jesus? I suppose we don't really know for sure, but... But we do know what he saw when everybody else looked at him, when the crowd spotted him. What did he see? He saw judgment. He saw resentment and contempt and anger and disdain. Luke tells us that that when the people saw Jesus going to the home of Zacchaeus, what is it they said? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They called Zacchaeus a sinner. In fact, if you read the gospel, the word sinner and the word tax collector often get hinged together. They're like two sides of the same insulting coin. If you wanted to insult somebody, you'd say, hey, you're a sinner and a tax collector. People despised tax collectors back then. 2,000 years later, we're better, right? We love our tax collectors. But, (laughs) But Zacchaeus... He wasn't just any tax collector. Luke tells us that he was the chief tax collector, which meant he was probably pretty wealthy. And he made his money by extorting money from the people for the Roman government and keeping some for himself. Not only was he a tax collector and a chief tax collector, he was a corrupt tax collector. Zacchaeus admits as much himself. You see there in verse 8 it says, If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. He confesses right there for himself. As if to say, hey, I was good at what I did. I knew how to exploit vulnerable people, and I had the power of Rome behind me when I did it. So here was Zacchaeus, a despised person, a tax collector, not just that, a chief tax collector, but not just that, a corrupt chief tax collector. Not the kind of person that you would invite out for coffee and wouldn't get an invitation from you to your Thanksgiving feast. People kept their distance from men like Zacchaeus. And in fact, it turns out that there were a lot of people who belonged to a category that Zacchaeus belonged to in the scriptures. Included in that category were people who had physical diseases and ailments that made them impure. People were caught in the middle of scandal or affair. Together they were all called unclean. Unclean. And for us, 
that word generally just means you need to have a shower or find some hand soap, but it made something really different back then. There was this whole category of people who are noted in the Bible, rejects and misfits and sinners and outcasts, and, and they were the category of people, ironically, who were most drawn to Jesus. On the other hand, it was the religious elite who most resented Jesus, who were always arguing him and resisting and battling with him. And it makes you wonder, what is it about that category of people, the unclean, that that drew them to Jesus? Whatever they saw in him, it made them feel safe, that they relaxed in his presence and they listened. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? What is it that was so different about this man? Because again and again, he had that effect on people. There's a story in John chapter 8, if you want to leave your thumb in in Luke and turn there, a woman who gets caught in the middle of scandal, of adultery. Again, maybe not such a big deal in our day. It ought to be a bigger deal. But it was a huge deal in their day. Caught in a scandal, and people had dragged her up to the town square. They picked up the rocks. They're ready to stone her to death when Jesus arrives in the circle. And they say, hey, Jesus, Rabbi, the law says if somebody is caught doing what she did, they should die by stoning. What do you think? They're setting him up, right? They're trying to get him. They baited him with this. And don't you love Jesus' response in the moment? Do you remember it? He reaches down into the dust and picks up a rock and says, Okay, whoever among you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And don't you just imagine in the minutes that follow, there was a deafening silence as one by one people dropped their stones and quietly exited the square. No one was qualified. Nobody made the cut. Everybody in that circle dropped their rock, except maybe Jesus. The one person in the square that day, in fact, who had a right to throw the stone. Instead, he just held on to it, and he said to the woman, as he looked her in the eyes, woman, Where are those who accuse you? And then he dropped his stone. Neither do I accuse you. So go. Leave this life behind. Start again. Sin no more. That's how transformation starts. You see, Jesus leads with his life. He doesn't lead with judgment. He doesn't lead with condemnation or accusation. He doesn't lead with contempt or self-righteousness. He leads with love and with grace and with mercy. And that's why the people who were out there on the very fringes of society, the furthest away from God, felt like they were actually invited to his table. And they felt safe and they relaxed and they listened to what he had to say because they weren't experiencing the walls that get thrown up by judgment. You know, years later, you know, Jesus had 
He had half-brothers, a bunch of them. We, we know one of them by name. His name was James. And James wrote a little book to the early church, and it's recorded back there towards the end of your Bibles in the New Testament. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this in chapter 2 in verse 13. Here's what he says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Where do you think James learned that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. He'd seen how Jesus leads, how he'd extended mercy, full of grace. And on that day, when he spotted Zacchaeus perched up in a tree, what is it that Zacchaeus saw when he was looking back? Mercy triumphing over judgment. That's what he saw. And he came to find in Jesus a man who seemed to know everything about who he was, what he'd done, the people he'd cheated, and yet, and yet still he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going back to your place today. I want to enjoy some time with you. Yeah, you, Zacchaeus, come on. That was the invitation for Zacchaeus. That's the moment it started. That's when he finds Jesus and the journey begins. And the life change begins. Of all the people who were standing on the street that day, of all the people who wanted to see Jesus, of all the people who were in line hoping to get a selfie with the famous rabbi, why is it that Jesus chooses Zacchaeus? Why his house? Well, Jesus tells us why. The end of the passage, Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I suspect he just kind of knew that about Zacchaeus and, and those who were like him, that they had felt lost and far away from God. In fact, I think that statement, Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, really is the core mission of Jesus. Why is he here? To seek and save the lost. It's the reason he said everything that he said. Why? To seek and save the lost. It's the reason why he died on the cross. Why? To seek and save the lost. It's the reason that he was resurrected from the grave to seek and save the lost. And that day around the table, Zacchaeus sees the man who spoke those words and finds him, and he hears Jesus say, can you imagine what this must have felt like? Today, right here, salvation has come to this house. And so begins the journey of Zacchaeus the lifelong adventure of following Jesus. Now here's the thing. We can hear his story, and we've been delighted to hear, David, your story, and Sarah, and Lisa, some of yours. And I know that there are people who are gathered here in the room today, and there'll be lots of people who are watching online today who are, who are part of the church, uh, and yet... Those words, words like follower, disciple, believer, Christian, those aren't the words that you would choose to describe yourself, not yet. Can, can I say something to you? 
I am more delighted about your being here than anyone else. And let me challenge you just with this. You're already part of this community. Uh, hang with us. Just stay with us. No judgment here. Ask your questions. Do the work. Uh, do your own research. Figure out who this man really was. Do what it takes to find him. As you read the Gospels, see for yourself who this man was, what he had to say, the effect that he had on people, his values, how he lived, why he died, the mystery of his return, the power of his resurrection. Find all of that, but see for yourself. So if you're not a Christian, let me just encourage you, invite you, challenge you to read his story. Hey, we've got a bunch of them available at the back. I mean, if you need to grab a Bible, grab one there. You know, and you think, well, I can't take a Bible from the church. Sure you can. Take, take them. You know, we'll, we'll replace them. Probably easier to download the story. Uh, if you're looking for it, just Google version. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. version. It's free. It's wonderful. And read his story. And stay with us. Maybe for some of you, you're in another category. Uh, maybe the word Christ follower or Christian is one you're more comfortable with. You'd say, yeah, I, I'm a believer and I've been doing the church thing on and off for a long time, but, but things have kind of stalled for you. For lots of us over the past 18 months, doesn't it feel like we've been stuck? You know, maybe that's true in your own journey with Jesus. You're stuck. I know that there are seasons in my life when I've felt absolutely that way. Maybe, maybe it even feels like you're in reverse. So let me challenge you with something as well. Let me challenge you to go back to the beginning. You remember the very first week of the series on the way? Where we talked about the first step? That all-important step that kind of unlocks everything else. That moment of surrender. And if you want to think about what recommitment might look like, perhaps ask yourself the question this way, what is it that I need to surrender to God in order to get unstuck? What is that thing that is preventing me from walking more fully, from experiencing his presence more joyfully, from, from journeying more deeply with Jesus? And then just give that to God. It'll be way more important than anything you put in the offering plate today. Make that your surrender. Look up and pray and start talking again. There is no relationship I'm aware of that can be healthy without conversation, without communication. So just get the conversation going again. Invite somebody else into the conversation. Join with a group of people who can encourage you. And if if that's something that you're interested in at all, uh, Pastor Sheldon will find you because, boy, he's got radar for that. But uh, if he doesn't find you, make sure you find him before you leave or just flood his mailbox. I love it when Sheldon says, I can't make the meeting. I got too many emails. You know, but find him and, and invite people to pray for you and pray with you because this thing, this journey, this 
reality of being on the way is something that we get to do together. And it's why we're here. It's why we do what we do, and it's why people still step into the baptistry and say, as we celebrated last week, I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I pray that new creation, that that, that feel, that that awareness, that that deep down identity, that that materializes in your life if you've never felt it before and that it emerges again if it's been a long time, too long, since it's felt that way for you. Allow me to, to pray that that might happen. So I invite you wherever you are, whether in your homes or here in the room, just to, to bow your heads with me as we say together, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're grateful to you that you sent your Son to seek and save the lost. And so we say thank you. Thank you for this invitation, not only to come to you once, to get things cleaned up and right, but to come to you in a fresh way each new day to learn who you are and what you've done and see how that makes such a difference in who we are and what we can do. And then, God, to to be able to celebrate that impact, to see the transformation that we've witnessed in the lives of those who have found you and committed themselves to you as followers. God, we admit that every one of us here We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. None of us here can avoid that, that description. We lump our lot in with that group of tax collectors and sinners. And yet you seek us out. No matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been, even what it is we're thinking right now, God, you've called us by name. And as you've always said, you invite us to follow, to learn from you, to take on your yoke and your way of life and find rest for our souls. So this morning we say thank you, we say yes, we say amen. So all God's people said it together, amen, amen.